This is the Wide Awake Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirsten Kazarian. As a child psychologist, I believe the most important part of the work I do is supporting parents by helping them deeply attune to their child and find their own balance of connection, nourishment, and inspiration. To do this, I lean on the practice of mindfulness. Join me in a conversation about raising our kids, raising our consciousness, and trying to stay awake. Today, we're going to explore what is mindful parenting. In this show, I'm going to explain why I like this approach so much for working with children and families. I'm going to give you a brief overview of the main principles of mindfulness and what these parenting techniques might actually look like. Then we're going to discuss the benefits of using these techniques for you and your child. So why is a child psychologist talking about mindfulness? I begin using mindfulness with my adolescent clients dealing with severe anxiety and depression because this is what the research in our field currently shows is the most effective form of treatment. Families really liked it, and I liked it. It was working. We all just kept saying, I wish this teen could have started learning these skills at a younger age. So I started using mindfulness with all my clients and began to see the benefits of using this with younger children and parents. It fits so well with everything I'd learned about child psychology, especially attachment theory, which I conceptualize in my work as the way a child and parent connect. This connection is then internalized by the child and becomes the model through which the child relates to himself and others. That's a pretty big deal, right? This is why I'm so focused on how parents and children relate. I found that mindfulness themes such as being aware of your thoughts and feelings and being present with your child were easy ways for myself and parents to discuss this process without getting lost as sometimes these ideas are hard to wrap your head around. The research on the benefits of mindfulness continues to blossom. About 30 years ago, our field really started to shift from looking at only pathology, what's wrong, to studying positive, uh, resilient qualities of individuals. And this is referred to as positive psychology. The shift has been so helpful for us as clinicians. We can take this information from our colleagues doing the research and apply it to the treatment of our clients. We're able to focus treatment on what builds resiliency. And when trying to change behavior, it's more useful to understand what to do versus being reminded what not to do. This can be confusing and defeating. So from the perspective of learning new behaviors, focusing on the positive really is more effective. So this is why I'm a professional fan of mindfulness. I get to see the positive impact with my clients every week. But before we start looking at using these techniques in your parenting, I want you to do a quick check-in with how you're feeling emotionally and physically. What's on your mind? What did you do today? Or what do you have left to do? I can feel some of you rolling your eyes at me through time and space right now, but here's why this habit of checking in is so important. Our external supports affect our internal supports. 
thoughts. How you're feeling and what you have on your plate affects how well you'll remember this information, be able to use it, how your parenting interactions will go today, etc. But here's the really great thing. Being aware of all this helps us to buffer the impact it will have on our interactions or our experiences that are important to us. So we are going to practice acknowledging, checking in, taking a temperature, whatever you want to call it, however you want to look at it. We're going to practice this. I've found it can be really easy to get caught up in the details and forget that there are personal and family ecosystems alive and actively affecting our children's behavior. So as I mentioned in our introduction episode, we're going to discuss the importance of self-care throughout this podcast by checking in with our nourishment, our connections, what inspires us, and the things that we're using to transform ourselves. These are our external support systems, things outside of our mental or internal resources that support our physical and mental wellness. It feels good as parents to give ourselves permission to check in about these things. It helps us to have these reserves stocked so that we can make calm and intentional parenting decisions. And finally, our children see us model this. It gives them permission to value their health and their well-being and create a lifelong habit of this. So what role does mindfulness play in all of this? We can look to mindfulness to increase our internal support system as this practice is shown to increase emotional regulation while decreasing stress and anxiety. I'm going to pause for a moment and explain a term I will use quite a bit on this show, emotional regulation. This is the ability to identify our feelings and then manage them in an effective way. Mindfulness helps us with our emotional regulation by encouraging us to observe our feelings accept them, and then make intentional choices with how to respond. So again, there's a balance here between the external and internal. We can try to keep our environment as smooth as possible, but we can't control it completely. So then we lean on our internal reserves to help us manage difficult experiences in ways that will benefit ourselves and our relationships. So at this point, you may be saying, That all sounds useful, Dr. Kazarian, but what is mindfulness? I keep hearing you mention it, but I'm still not sure what it is. So this is not a comprehensive review of mindfulness by any means, but here are the pieces of mindfulness we on the Wide Awake podcast are going to most closely focus on. Observing the present moment, engaging in the present moment, Focusing on compassion and non-judgmental perspectives. And practicing acceptance. So let's pause and think about our current relationship to these things. Do you already have them in practice? Do they sound difficult? Interesting? Useful? Not useful? Just notice your reaction to these ideas. Now, this all may sound too simple or maybe too complex. I get that. It's why I've dedicated an entire podcast, not just today's episode, to this topic. There is so much here. And in order to do mindful parenting justice, this will be an ongoing conversation with our wide awake community. 
We often learn best in the moment. And as it's impossible for the wide awake community to be with us during every stressful parenting situation, but honestly, wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) We can do the next best thing. Share these moments with each other and then discuss and problem solve together using the mindful parenting approach. Today, let's look at a few ways that you can use these tenets of mindfulness as parents. First, starting with observing the present moment. This is being aware of your thoughts and feelings, and we've practiced this already during the episode by checking in with ourselves. Parents that practice this tend to be less blindsided by their child's changing developmental, temperamental, and emotional needs because they can observe what's happening with their emotions in check. We want to be aware, but not consumed by these things, which is quite the balancing act. So mindfulness helps us with this and encourages us to observe the moment. And by observing the moment, it relieves us of the constant worry and self-criticism that can cloud our minds when interacting with our children. So practice giving yourself permission to let go of your worries about past or future parenting mistakes and just enjoy the moment. If the moment is not that enjoyable, or perhaps it's disappointing, acknowledge this, but try to stay awake to what's happening. When we're aware of our emotions and what's happening in each moment, we gain insight into why some interactions with our children go better than others. What do you have the resources for today? And what do they have the resources for? Sometimes you're down to make pancakes in the morning and read 10 bedtime stories. Other times you just want to get away with making them a bowl of cereal and hoping one book before bed will do. Sometimes children can go to a restaurant and sit still, and sometimes they cannot. Observing the present moment helps us be in tune with ourselves and our children, notice all the small pieces of what's going on, and then make more thoughtful decisions about how to handle them. Engaging in the present moment. Interacting with your child mindfully is less about the what and all about the how. So there's a lot of pressure on parents right now to constantly be teaching and engaging their child. If you have found yourself frantically searching Pinterest for a do-it-yourself craft activity that also encourages STEM skills, I unfortunately do not believe you're alone. Nothing against crafts or STEM skills. But the frantic feeling that may resonate for you to get it all right and have the best activity is what we want to let go of. This is where I suggest we focus less on the activity, the what, and more on how we connect when we're spending time with our child. First, let them take the lead. It's easier for you and you get to observe what this little creature wants to do most if you allow them the freedom. Don't talk so much. That's easier too. We get stuck wanting to say the right thing. So relieve yourself of that pressure and listen. Make a lot of eye contact. And if you need to say something, verbally observe what your child does. You can do this anywhere with anything they're doing. And I know those moments where our children are engaged with something they enjoy are so easy for us to use to go and empty the dishwasher or send an email off. I know you're busy but I encourage you to go join them while they're lost in their play, even if it's just for a couple minutes. By doing this, you're showing them how important you think they are, that you care to learn who they are, that what they think and do matters, 
and you're modeling the ability to just be. So they don't have to start from scratch with all of this in adulthood. Start with five minutes a day. If that's hard for you, notice it. It may be really different. Notice your child's response. It's usually motivation enough to keep practicing. Our next piece is compassion and non-judgment. I put these together because I find that they build on one another especially well. When we view ourselves and others with compassion and non-judgment, we're less stressed, less depressed, and we have higher self-esteem. Judgment and criticism cause pain and a sense of isolation. Think about the person that's unnecessarily rude to you while you're at work. They may bring up all sorts of feelings and thoughts. If we're in a good space ourselves, we might be able to acknowledge, wow, they must be having a really hard time. And this compassion for someone else is not only kind, but it's actually protective for us. We recognize that the pain this other person is consciously or unconsciously causing others is not about us, and it frees us to set a respectful boundary. It allows us to untangle ourselves and our self-esteem from their behavior. If we choose to judge others, it often gets us stuck in a rut of comparison. And when we do this, our self-esteem is in constant flux and we get in the habit of being critical of ourselves as well as others. Mindfulness encourages us not to shut our eyes to these things, but instead approach them with curiosity, openness, and compassion. With our children, we can help them practice non-judgment by staying away from the good and bad labels. When we focus on good and bad, the child's brain will start to interpret the world in this way, so we'll see less flexibility and curiosity. And a lot of information's missed when we judge first. A child overly concerned with being seen as good can develop a false sense of themselves. They're only aware of what others want, and they're not in touch with their own thoughts and feelings, which is the foundation of emotional regulation. As I mentioned before, that's the foundation of a well-adjusted and confident kid. You can still label behaviors as kind, respectful, helpful, etc. And in fact, this is more useful. You're giving them more information here for what you liked about their behavior than you would have with simply good or bad. Parents get worried that if they don't say what's good or bad, how will they show their children you know, what the household values are? Kids are really smart and they want to please us, their parents. So model your household values. That's the most effective way for those values to stick and give lots of positive attention to what you want to see more of. If we see behavior in our children that we don't like, before we feel the need to blame ourselves or become critical of them, start by being curious. Wondering is such a powerful tool. I wonder why they said that. I wonder how they're feeling right now. I wonder if this is the best way they have to cope with something right now. Being curious about our world keeps our minds active and engaged, open to a more clear picture of what's actually happening than our judgmental mind would allow. Practicing a non-judgmental approach leads to a kinder voice in our head, and the voice in our head often is the voice that pops out to our kids. 
we'll be dedicating more than one episode to this process because I think it's one of the most important tools we have in fostering resiliency in our children. Acceptance. This is being able to accept ourself and others and the realities we're faced with. So let's be real here. This is a super lofty goal, but something we can attain in smaller interactions. We tend to have a hard time with acceptance when something falls short of our expectations. Our expectations can cause us a lot of trouble for ourselves and our children. From the beginning, parents, parenting forces us to accept. Perhaps we had to shift from our well-thought-out birth plan at the last moment. Or maybe we couldn't balance childcare and work in the way we'd hoped, and we were forced to make hard decisions. Maybe you looked forward to coaching soccer only to find your child is really miserable on the field. When we can accept that, say, our child is not an athlete, we bypass what could be a multi-year struggle between us and them, and we create an opportunity to learn that the passion we have for sports, they have for music. We may have had a lot of expectation for ourselves as parents. If you're listening to this podcast, my guess is that you take this role really seriously. What if you thought you were going to make all your own baby food fresh from the farmer's market every single week, but now your baby wakes up every three hours and you're just happy if you're functioning and they're fed? Is that something you would allow yourself to accept? When we can accept things, we're modeling flexibility and resiliency for our children and saving us and them a lot of heartache. There's nothing wrong with having expectations as long as we're aware of them. We gain a lot of insight into our personal values and the role that these values play in our parenting choices. But by not accepting things, we miss really important information about what's right in front of us. Like many of the mindfulness tenets, there's a lot to unpack here, so we're going to be focusing an entire episode on the tricky business of having expectations for our kids and ourselves and balancing those with healing acceptance. So being in the present moment, compassion, non-judgment, and acceptance will be the foundations for our mindful parenting discussion. Will also include gratitude, viewing the environment with curiosity, and focusing on awe and joy. As I said, we're going to take this conversation slow so that we have space to think about our reactions to the information. And if you go to wideawakeparenting.com and share your feedback, we can answer your questions and focus on what you're interested in. So now we're going to look at the benefits of mindfulness. So let's geek out here for a moment and review some of the research. An article from the Journal of Child and Family Studies found that moms, specifically in this case, all the participants were mothers, were less stressed and anxious and depressed when they practiced mindfulness. In these participants, the practice of non-judgmental labeling of an emotional experience was found to correlate with better parent-child relationships and better parental mental health. So we can hear that a few skills were used here, being able to observe and acknowledge a feeling state and then being non-judgmental about what you felt and observed in that feeling state towards yourself and your child. 
So this might look like, I'm so frustrated that my baby won't stop crying. That's the acknowledgement of the feeling state. But they don't have the words to tell me what they need, and I'm doing the best I can right now. That's the compassion for your child and non-judgmental, non-judgment of yourself and non-judgment of the baby. So what about when we're dealing with children with special needs? I hear parents worry that mindfulness won't be potent enough to handle the immense stress of caring for a child with disabilities or really high emotional needs. A study from the Journal of Pediatrics looked at mothers of children with autism and other disabilities. They were taught mindfulness skills for six weeks, and their feelings of anxiety and depression significantly decreased. They had fewer dysfunctional parent-child interactions, and moms slept better and had a greater sense of satisfaction about their life. And they were able to maintain these improvements for at least six months after treatment ended because that's when the researchers checked in again. So again, I'm hearing better parent-child interactions and better parent mental health. And our mental health is going to affect what we model and teach our children about their health. Okay, so the last study we're going to look at today was done at the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin. Researchers were studying physical inflammation. For um, From reading this, so what I learned is that barrier tissues, such as our skin, the gastrointestinal, respiratory, and neurogenital tracts are highly susceptible to stress. So these researchers looked at inflammation on barrier tissue and tried both a wellness program for participants where the participants, they walked, they focused on core strength, they received nutritional education and music therapy. So a lot of good stuff here, focusing more on the external resources of these individuals. And the comparison group was participants that used mindfulness, which I'm going to quote from the article here. They call it a practice which cultivates an open and accepting awareness of whatever is occurring in the present moment without reacting to or being absorbed in the contents of the experience. So both of these things, the mindfulness and the wellness program were found to be helpful. But those that went through the mindfulness training showed significantly less post-inflammation than the other group. So we're talking about healing from the inside out here. We're finding that mindfulness helps us be less anxious, stressed, and depressed parents that have more positive interactions with our children, which is going to help them develop with less stress and more confidence. And we're seeing this does not just affect our emotional well-being, but our physical wellness as well. So what are your thoughts after hearing about the benefits of mindfulness? Feel free to share with us at wideawakeparenting.com. I know for me, I want all of us to have these skills. And I want our children to be able to have these skills. And I personally look forward to adding to my own mindful practice every week by creating this show for us. You guys, thank you so much for joining me for this mindful parenting conversation. I hope this episode has clarified mindfulness for you. And if you felt connected to what we are talking about, we have so much more to share with you. 
I've mentioned some research studies in this episode. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to link these to the show notes for those of you that would like to read further. I'm also going to link a few articles I like from the greater good at UC Berkeley. You can find all this information by going to wideawakeparenting.com, clicking on show notes and selecting episode one. And while you're there, if you're so inclined, share your thoughts and feedback with us. In our next episode, we'll discuss our inner critic and how, when unchecked, this voice can be harmful, not only to us, but to our child. So that is our show. I'm Dr. Kirsten Kazarian, and until we meet again, be gentle with yourself, courageous on your path, and let's help each other try to stay awake.